Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the Radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, give that Netflix habit a break and binge on some can't-miss books. It's our annual summer reading special. Three local librarians give us their picks for books you won't be able to put down this summer, plus suggestions for kids and teens and questions for bookworms from the Under the Radar social media fans and our audience here at the Boston Public Library in downtown Boston. Joining me here at the WGBH studio at the Boston Public Library, Julie Roach, Manager of Youth Services at the Cambridge Public Library. Hello, Julie. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you. Also with me, Robin Brenner, Teen Librarian at the Public Library of Brookline. Hi, Robin. Hi, thank you for inviting us. Oh, great. And Eileen Sherman, Librarian here at the Boston Public Library. Welcome, Eileen. Oh, hi, thank you for having me. I'm just so excited. So. I love to read, I love books, and summer reading is just another excuse for me to read more books. So I like to start off any conversation about summer reading with getting your just quick philosophy about summer reading. So some people like to read light, others take the time to read something heavy. Somebody, some people it's a mix. Mm -hmm. Let's start with you. I th well, I think summer is about reading exactly whatever you want to read, with no one telling you what to read, and sort of um, whatever that means to you. If you like to read something light, or if you like to read something heavy, then that's your choice. That's the big thing. It's all about choice for me. Spoken like a true librarian, that's Julie Roach. Okay, Robin, what do you say? I say very similarly. Um, I'm definitely an advocate for reading what you'd like to read. Um, I will say that I think of part of my job as being guiding the kids who are assigned reading to find the book that they like out of the books they're assigned. Mm. So it's matching the right person with the right book to make sure they still have a good time over the summer. Okay, and Eileen? Oh, I like to think of summer reading as a mix and uh, like read what you want. But one of the things I like to do is learn something different when I'm reading for the summer. And the other thing I'll have to confess is I like thrillers. <laughs> so oh, okay. it's, uh, I always at least read at least one thriller over the summer. And I think I've included them in some of my suggestions just because of my favorite writers. So I think it's, it is like a mix. You just want variety, and you want to gain something from me summer reading, but you also want entertainment. I agree with you. you know? Now, I like it all, and I'll just confess in front of all of you librarians who really read good stuff, that sometimes I'm just on the end with trash. Oh, just total too. trash. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Too. All right, we're all on the same page. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> all right, Eileen, let's start with you. What is something that you are very excited about um, this year? 
Well, uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to is Michael Connolly. He has a new series out. He wrote the Harry Bosch series, The Detectives, uh, in, with the LAPD. So he has a new series that actually has a woman. And I'm sort of curious as to how that'll work out. <laughs> I don't think he's ever had a main character that was a woman before. And she works the night shift on the LAPD, which is like dangerous and tough and uh, unpopular. So uh, that's one of the ones I'm sort of keen to peek into and see how it all works out. Now, is, this, is she older, too, this character, this woman? I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they've mentioned her age. Yeah. She evidently got assigned to the night shift because she filed her an harassment suit. I presume she's not. I'm just not sure about her age. Yeah. You know? I'm always curious about men writing women's characters yeah. because sometimes it works and sometimes it's way off. Well, <laughs> that's what has me excited. I want to see. <laughs> All right. That's Eileen Sherman's first pick. All right. Your first pick, um, Robin. Um, I think the one I'm most excited about right now is a book called York, The Shadow mm. Cipher. Um, I love books where you solve puzzles or there's an adventure quest kind of like that. And this is on that edge between children's and teens. So it's seventh graders are the heroes of the book. Um, and I like that kind of bringing in that middle ground that everyone can read. And I certainly read it as an adult and had a, a blast. Um, it's an alternate New York and it's a kind of legendary cipher that's spread throughout the city by architects and you have to solve what the cipher is. And everyone's been trying to solve it for 150 years. And then they discover that there's another cipher that's hidden in the first. And that's what these kids are trying to solve. So it's a very fun, very smart book. And actually has enough weight to it that it's not total fluff. Um, it has some good emotional resonance through it as well. That's my guest, Robin Brenner. She's a teen librarian at the Public Library of Brookline. Now, l let me just pick up something, because this is YA, young adult mm -hmm. literature, but it's been very popular with adults recently. Yes. I, I don't know if the Harry Potter thing started it all or it just feels like it gave it another surge, but, but, sure. this, but to your point, lots of adults are reading this. Yes, mm. yes. There's a huge uptick in adults that have are basically, I find they're looking for plot-driven books, and young adult tends to have more obvious plot than necessarily the latest like literary star. Um, so you get a lot of really books that you can dive right into and get going immediately. Um, not that that's always true, but that's, I think, one of the big appeals for adults. OK. All right, coming back to you, Julie Roach, which, what are you looking forward to? Um, a book that I think uh, is going to be a big hit this summer is um, Laurel Snyder's new book, Orphan Island. Um, it's this kind of mysterious premise. There's a deserted island. There are cabins and, you know, um, obviously someone was there once, but now there are just these nine children there. They're each a year older than the other one, and every year this sort of unmanned boat shows up to the island, and it brings a new baby, and it takes the oldest child away. So there's this cycle, right? But they don't know where the boat came from. They don't know where the boat is going. And so it's kind of this mystery, and there's all these sort of questions about you. Who, where did you come from? Where are you going? And what the island almost takes on a character in and of itself, right? Because it's changing and evolving, too. Um, so it's a really interesting, mysterious uh, story that um, is great for summer. I'm going to be uh, dropping in a few books that I'm kind of interested in jumping into. And one of them is a book that all of you librarians should be interested in. It's called My Life with Bob. Oh, yeah. Flawed heroine keeps book of books, plot ensues. And this is a woman, Pamela Paul, the mm -hmm. um, author Pamela Paul, kept a journal by her side for 28 years in which she records every book she's ever read. Um, and the journal's name is Bob. And here's a clip of her talking about the start of keeping track of her books in Bob. Pamela Paul. When I first started writing the books. This was in, um, I was 17 years old. I was um, living really in like the armpit of France. 
I started reading there and I had the blank book and I just wrote down the author and the title and I underlined it uh, and I listed them and I didn't even write numbers. I didn't keep track. And it was funny, it wasn't until I was criticized by a boyfriend much later that I was just writing these things down in order to like tick things off my list and to show off about how much I'd read that then I started putting the numbers in. I went back and I was like, oh, I, I never thought of it that way. Uh, one of the things that we should add about Pamela Paul is that she's the editor of the New York Times Book Review, so maybe she's had a chance to read more books than normal folks, because that's part of her job. Um, any of you guys heard about it and are thinking about it? I, I'm a big fan of Pamela Paul's, uh, and I also I keep a list like that myself. So, I, yeah, oh, <laughs> of course you would. Symbiotic. Yeah, of course you would. All right, we're starting with you this time. All right. <laughs> what's what's another one of your books from your list that you're recommending? Uh, another book, uh, Rita Williams Garcia, who uh, is um, did a, a trilogy of historical fiction a few years ago, One Crazy Summer. She's done a brand new title and a whole new premise that we're really excited about. It's called Clayton Bird Goes Underground. Uh, this is a contemporary story now about a little boy, and he has this very strong relationship with his grandfather, who's an electric blues guitarist, and his mom is really has some resistance about that. And his grandfather passes away unexpectedly, and he's, the little boy is really upset, Clayton is really upset, and um, doesn't really have anyone to talk to about it, and he kind of takes up with his grandfather's uh, bandmates and runs away. Ah. And so it's a, really, it's a really interesting story about music, but also about family and um, you know, how complicated we are as humans, and uh, it was a really powerful and also a really funny read. Well, here's a clip. This is Rita Williams-Garcia reading a clip from her book, Clayton Bird Goes Underground. Clayton Bird on harmonica, a.k.a. the Mississippi saxophone, or what cool Papa Bird called the blues harp, drew in and blew out as much life as he could between the musical spaces the bluesmen left open for him. So that was Julie Roach's, one of her picks, and she's the manager of youth services at the Cambridge Public Library. Moving over to you, Robin, what's another book that you're on your list? Well, one book that's already been published and already been kind of feted across all book people <laughs> um, is The Hate You Give by mm. Andy Thomas, which mm. I've been delighted to see it take off and be, you know, going into, as you were just saying, into adult audiences just as much as, as it's going for teens. But I think it was a book that was very hyped, but was, if anything, better than the hype. And that's wonderful to see. It's very smart. It's very sharp. Um, and it's basically a young woman who is caught up in a police shooting. Um, one of her childhood best friends gets shot while she's in the car, and she's the only witness. And she has to decide whether to come forward or not. And it obviously has a lot of resonance in terms of race relations in the United States right now. Um, but what I like about it is that it's gets a very deep into it, but has a good sense of humor. Um, I think all of the voices in the book are really strong. And it also never gives any easy answers. And it's not it, as much as it's a very complicated and at times a very um, enraging sort of story. It still tends to come back to family, to friends, and how you survive these times and how you learn to find your voice, which I think is wonderful. So the author, Angie Thomas, said she was inspired by the shooting of Oscar Grant, a young black man who was fatally shot on New Year's Day 2009 by a police officer in Oakland, California. There also was a documentary made from it, but let's listen to Angie Thomas. 
Oscar was a young man who was killed by police. And at the time, I remember wondering what would happen if that took place in my neighborhood, how would we react? And all of these cases started coming out and it just fueled me and it fueled my frustration and my anger, but it also, I wanted to find a way to find hope. And I wanted to show the human side of all of these cases. That is a recommendation from Robin Brenner and that book is The Hate You Give. So moving over to you, Eileen. I can't look forward to it for the summer because I've already read it, which is a big <laughs> But you're recommending it. <laughs> I am definitely recommending it. It's a book by a local author. Uh, she was by Barbara Lynch. Mm. It's Out of Line, A Life Playing with Fire. Uh, she was brought up on a project in South Boston, and from that background, she became a world-renowned chef. She had no culinary training, but now she owns like seven restaurants in the Boston area that are, you know, uh, famous. And uh, she just has an incredible personality. Um, she has a huge drive and ambition. She's won numerous James Beard Awards, and she was listed as the, uh, one of the most 100 influential women in the world by Time Magazine and this year. Uh, I just, it's a very exciting story. It's a real page turner, even though like, it's a memoir. You think it, it actually reads nearly like a thriller, because you know, she takes a lot of risks, and she doesn't hesitate to talk about her mistakes as well as her triumphs, which I think is nice in a memoir. You might be tempted to just cover up the mistakes and just go with, with the triumphs. But I think it's a great local story, and it's a great introduction to gourmet dining in Boston. And you'd just be really tempted to go out and try some of these restaurants. You know? Well, on top of that, it's a, it's a, I think she represents the takeover of uh, what should be happening of women chefs. I mean, really top yes. celebrity women chefs. And uh, I, I have interviewed her once before, and I'm, she mentioned that she lied to the priest to get her first job, which is, <laughs> should entice anybody to read the book. But here is Barbara Lynch reading from her book, Out of Line, A Life of Playing with Fire. During the recession, the steakhouses didn't go broke because people always need a place where they can celebrate with food. They might be too intimidated to choose a high-end restaurant, fearing a stuffy atmosphere, snooty service, or food that's too fancy or weird. I understand that, which is why we need warm, unpretentious places where people can discover and delight in the new. I love Barbara. I think she's great. And that was a recommendation from Eileen Sherman, the librarian here at the Boston Public Library. In fact, if you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And with me are also Julie Roach of the Cambridge Public Library and Robin Brenner of the Public Library of Brookline. And you just heard Eileen Sherman of the Boston Public Library. We're here at the WGBH studio, and we're talking about our top picks for summer reads for children and adults. Let me ask you another question um, that may or may not influence summer reading. What's been trending during the year, and do you see any linkage now over into summer? So you're nodding, Robin. <laughs> sure. I think um, the, the nicest thing to see that's been actually, I think, finally producing a lot of books is just the increase of diversity of all kinds. Um, and it's, it's finally gotten broader than just race or ethnicity. There's a lot more gender identity. There's a lot more about sexuality. And I like to see all of that becoming just a part of the landscape. It's never, there are more and more books that are not about that as a topic, but are just have characters that represent all different things. Um, and like one of the books I have um, that I'm looking forward to that's kind of a historical adventure um, features a bisexual lead character um, called The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. And it's, it's kind of like, this will not mean anything to teens, but it's kind of like the Scarlet Pimpernel, but for teens. Um, and it's, uh, but I, I, it's got 
a great premise and a great sort of setup, but it's also, you know, it's not about him being bisexual in the past. It's about his adventures, and he just happens to be bisexual. So it's just nice to have that in books, and more and more that's what my teens are looking for, and it's nice to see that the, the publishing industry is, is moving right ahead with that. There's always more room, of course, um, but I'm just really happy to see all of that start to, to come to this, the front. Robin, what have you been seeing a trend during the year that might be linking over to the summer? Um, oh, I'm sorry, Julie. <laughs> Robin just spoke. Yes, yes. yes. Um, I, I agree with that. I think uh, we are seeing so many books with different family structures and uh, different people's stories and different ways of telling them and different perspectives. Um, so, so I think that's really nice. And the books that uh, are being produced are, are also just really captivating. They just have really good stories and really uh, thoughtful ways of looking at um, current events and of historical events. And um, but they're really accessible for young readers. So, um, so I see that. I, I see that, and I think we're moving in a more positive direction. Okay, Eileen, what's been trending during the year that you think might have a linkage to the summer? Well, I think the interest in the presidential election of 2016 is just continuous. We had two big books last year, like Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance, mm -hmm. and then Strangers in the Own Land by Arlie Hochschild, and they still have huge waiting lists on them. And uh, they approach it from one perspective, like why people voted for uh, Donald Trump. Then there's a new one out, Shattered, inside Hillary Clinton's Doom campaign. Uh, that approaches it from the other side. What went wrong with Hillary's campaign that actually ended up that people did not vote for her? So I think that that's an interesting perspective to take this year. Uh, it's recently published. So that was one book that I certainly will be interested in reading. Now, did any of you um, see a trend in looking toward a future that is not so great? Because there's lots of folks talking about reading stuff that says the end is near or the end is here. Either way, mm -hmm. <laughs> are you, were you seeing that in what people I chose to read? I saw a few books like that. Mm -hmm. The wait list went up on The Handmaid's Tale, partly driven by the new uh, series. But 1984 by George Orwell was another one. Then um, Sinclair Lewis had one, It Can't Happen Here, uh, about a populist president who becomes a demagogue. And then there was the other one on the origins of totalitarianism by Hannah Arendt. That's also the wisdom demand for those books. And I think people are concerned about the, the great divide, I guess, uh, worldwide between not just politically, mm -hmm. but even financially, between the haves and the have-nots, and where that direction will go. Uh, Robin, did you see any of that in uh, YA Lit? Interestingly, I think the reaction among teenagers has been more on the activism front. I mm. think they're looking for ways to do something, um, especially if they're, you know, the majority of them are not old enough to vote. Um, <laughs> so they're kind of looking for ways, and there have been a number of great um, nonfiction books and kind of memoirs of activists that have come out that have been catching people's attention, which is really nice to see. Um, so I think the kids are, are, they already did their dystopia a while back, mm -hmm. um, so they're, they're more likely to look for things that give them some sense of where to go from here. Meaning like Hunger Games and stuff like that. Yeah, that, yeah. that was okay, the trend right. for them, and, and there is always the kind of joke that teenagers are always in a dystopia because they're in a <laughs> life they can't control. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think, it's nice to see that, that they're looking for ways to speak up and to speak out, and it's just been really nice. All right, so. what about you, Julie? I think with the, with the books for younger kids, there, there's still this um, 
idea of offering a sense of hope, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so they don't maybe go in that direction of like, is it, <laughs> is, is this it the end of the yeah. world? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they're more sort of presenting stories that are sort of like, it's really bad, and here is you know an underdog really rising to the top. And I think a lot of the nonfiction that we've seen this year has been really interesting. I think this always happens in nonfiction, but I am noticing it more this year that sort of it might cover a, a historical period like the Vietnam War or the Spanish Civil War and sort of relate it to what's going on globally today in a very clear way, you know, mm -hmm. what's happening in Syria and what's happening in these different places and putting that in real context for, um, for youth. So more history, which is good, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Eileen, back to you. Another one from your list. Uh, well, one I would really look forward to reading, it's by Neil deGrasse Tyson. I think uh, he's an amazing speaker. I've seen him interviewed a few times. He's an astrophysicist with the American Museum of Natural History. He runs their Haydn Planetarium. Uh, he really believes in making science accessible. So I love the title of this book because it's called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. So astrophysics, you sort of, oh my gosh, you know, that's too terrible, that's too difficult, it's going to get charts, it's going to be too technical. It's going to be math. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, you just withdraw. Yeah. So then, like, for people in a hurry, well, we're all in a hurry. This means he's relating to the rest of us who really don't want to do the maths and the charts. And he is such a great speaker, I'm presuming that that's skill is transferred into the book. And uh, it's, it's only 200 pages. Um, there's chapters on dark energy and dark matter and exoplanets and the Big Bang. And these are all things I have never considered. <laughs> but they're there, and I think this might be my summer to consider them. <laughs> He's so charming. He is. So that can draw people in as well. All right, so Robin. Another one that I really love that has just come out is a graphic novel, um, and it's another one that's on the younger end of teen, called Brave uh, by Svetlana Chmakova. And it is, uh, she as a creator has become um, particularly, I think, talented at what she's doing right now, which is talking about kind of realistic life for middle grade readers. And in that sense, she's a really good match for the kids who can't get enough of Raina Telgemeier. And, you know, Raina Telgemeier is like a rock star to seven-year-olds everywhere. <laughs> so it's nice to see that this is more that we can give those kids. Um, Brave, in particular, is a kind of sequel to a book called Awkward. And it's the same middle school, so you get to know the students from different points of view as they focus on different characters. And um, Brave I like because it also addresses bullying in an interesting mm -hmm. way, in that it gets a little bit more into the idea of what if the people that are bullying you are people that say that they're your friends? How do you deal with that? And how do you realize that what they're doing is not actually friendly? Wow. Um, so it's very, it's a very light touch. It's a very sweet book in a lot of ways, but I think it, it has some depth to it that I think will help some kids figure out how to look at their friends and their school and do something better about it. All right, Julie. Um, I want to talk about a picture book for those really, really young <laughs> readers this summer. Um, there's a picture book that's just come out called Jabari Jumps, which oh, just so says summer to me, <laughs> right? So it's about this little boy, and he has just completed swimming lessons, and he thinks he is ready for the high dive. And he, um, he goes to the community pool, and his dad and his little sister in the water, and he's going to, you know, bravely climbs up the ladder. And then... He sort of lets everybody go in front of him. <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> and he's getting more nervous and more nervous. And, uh, but eventually he, with the help of sort of his um, 
family fan club down below. He, he takes that plunge into the water, but it's just the, the art is so amazing because you really feel what it felt like that first time, assuming you ever did it, you got on the diving board, you really feel that with his little his toes are curled over. The <laughs> <laughs> and you see all these great different perspectives of being up high and his family down low. And it's, um, it's just fantastic for getting ready for summer. And I don't know who did this for the book, but they uh, did a YouTube clip using the art and just music. It's, you know, it's, there's no dialogue, but you mm -hmm. just watch some of the pictures and they're so charming and so cute. So I can see that that's a real winner. Yeah, <laughs> well, did a nice job with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now on my list, I am totally loving, always love, uh, Jessica Harris. Jessica Harris writes cookbooks, but also with, with um, usually a lot of culture and heritage embedded. Now she's taking a step back to do a look at kind of a memoir of her life, uh, meeting all these exciting people around the world and doing whatever. So I just want everybody to take a listen to uh, Jessica Harris talking about her memoir. I've been known to say that I'm the zealot of the second half of the 20th century because it has been my great good fortune to turn up in multiple special spots. I lived and studied in Paris when Leal was still going strong and the buildings were gray. I've supped with Semben in Senghor, Senegal, and I've danced in the Candomblé ring in Georges Amado's Bahia. However, the real reason that I identify with the Woody Allen character is that it was my privilege to spend a part of my youth with Maya Angelou, James Baldwin, and their circles of friends as they were becoming icons of 20th century America. I mean, what a life. <laughs> the name of her book is My Soul Looks Back, a Memoir. And uh, she's a fabulous writer, obviously a good reader as well. But I mean, it's so exciting. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Here's a trend I've been paying attention to. And that is there seems to be a number of Asian American authors, young, writing about contemporary experience in this, you know, they're not sort of looking back to history. They may reflect a little bit of history. In my mind, and I, I may be just too short-sighted because I just don't know enough, Mambo Kings and Chinatown sort of started, for me, the trend. And now I'm noticing a lot more coming out this summer. Is this something you all have noticed in the books coming in um, to, the, to the libraries? Sure. That, I mean, that's part of the diversity that we've seen in terms of just the different kinds of um, characters, different kinds of main characters, different kind of authors. Um, and I know some of the books I've looked at, I mean, uh, Jenny Han is one of the more recent. Um, she basically writes contemporary realistic romances, um, but they're kind of wonderful characters. And um, she's a great writer. And, and that's one of those kind of popular series that continues um, and will always be popular. Um, and I think the, um, the one I have for this, this summer, this kind of a, one of those premises that should be a ridiculous sort of Shakespearean plot, um, where a young woman joins an a cappella group and disguises herself as a boy so that she can sing the tenor part. Um, yeah, and that. it's that kind of, you know, you wonder how, how deep this book can be. Um, but it, um, it's really sweet, and uh, she is Chinese-American, and it, it's kind of the idea of that she's far away from her parents. No one can kind of see what she's doing. And then she starts to realize it, it means something to her, both in terms of being part of a group, but also in figuring out what the gender expectations are and how different it is to be perceived as a boy rather than as a girl. So it's a really interesting book. Um, and I just see more and more of that showing up. Um, there's a, one that's getting a lot of attention called Goodbye Vitamin, a novel by Rachel Kong. And she goes home 
uh, 30 years, she's 30 years old, she goes home to take care of her father with Alzheimer's. But it is a novel, but it's supposed to be, I mean, it's just getting all kinds of buzz now. And here's another one that I've just paid attention to called Chemistry. It's a novel by Wanky Wang. Young female doctoral student's life is pushed by her Chinese parents' high expectations. So I've just noticed this interesting writing about the contemporary lives of young Asian Americans. Um, and they seem to be, by the way, women mostly. Did that also something you guys have paid? Because I'm trying to think of a guy who's written something recently and I couldn't, but it just could be my lack of knowledge. And you all are puzzled too, think, so I think you're not. Yeah, I can think of yeah. older books, but right, not, 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 not right yeah, away. Right, exactly. What's the impact of word of mouth on books? Because I just said, this book is getting a lot of buzz. And I find myself sometimes drawn to that, but Eileen, I have to say, sometimes that just turns me off. If it gets a lot of attention, I refuse to read it. <laughs> just because. It's like being told to read it. <laughs> yeah, <again>. exactly, <laughs> exactly. What, what do you see as the, as the impact of word of mouth? I, I, I think a lot of people use review sources. I think they use National Public Radio. I think they use the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. It doesn't seem to turn them off. I think they just use it as a guiding principle. But you don't necessarily, like if I see a review of a book, I might look at the book and then I say, I don't like that. You know, it, it wouldn't make me check it out. But I think it works, reviews work very well with nonfiction, I think, better than with the fiction. Fiction is sort of more personal. And uh, like I read, um, one of the books I loved this year was News of the World by mm. Paulette Giles. Well, I read the review and I sort of, oh, I don't want to read that. <laughs> <laughs> Then I picked it up, and it was a small book, and I sort of said, oh, I think, you know, that's small. I, I'll read it. I'll try it. So it was a wonderful story to me. It was set in the 19th century in Texas after the Civil War, and it was a man who lost everything due to all the conflicts he lived through. He was in his 70s. He was making his living going around. Uh, he would buy newspapers in one section of the state, and then he'd travel around to more remote areas, and he'd read the news hmm. to these people. So then uh, he was asked, uh, they were at that time you know, getting uh, you know, children back from, that had been kidnapped by the Indians. So they had this girl, 10-year-old girl, who'd been taken by the Kiowa when she was about four or five. And they asked him to deliver her about 500 miles down south. And during that, that travel, uh, it's, it's, they, the author based it on a book she read about people unable to adjust, children unable to adjust mm. to being captured by the Indians. And even though like, they maybe spent four or five years of their life with their original white families, they had so adapted to the, the culture of the Indians that they were never again able to totally adjust. And uh, over so the course... So a little bit of history and sociology. Yeah. Uh, in I, a novel I, setting. So it's a fantastic book. I'm just going to put you on pause because we're going to need to take a short break and come sure. back to more exciting books that, such as the one that captivated you even though you didn't think you were going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> we need to take a short break, but we'll be back with more suggestions from our librarians and your questions. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.
I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And this week, we're devoting our entire show to the hottest books of this summer. We're joined by a panel of local librarians to tell us more about what they think will be hitting the top of the charts and trending in the book world during the summer months. I'm here with Julie Roach, manager of youth services at the Cambridge Public Library, Robin Brenner, teen librarian at the Public Library of Brookline, and Eileen Sherman, librarian here at the Boston Public Library. We're gonna jump back into our conversation. I wanna remind everybody we're here at the WGBH studio at the Boston Public Library, and it's wonderful. And while we're here, several people have let us know what books they're reading or looking forward to reading. Mary says, A Dog's Purpose. Jason, Raising the Floor by Andrew Stern. Irina's Children by Tillar J. Mazio. I see some nods here. That's from Mary. And Annie is The Handmaid's Tale, which is what you were talking about, uh, Eileen, earlier that people were looking forward to or asking for a lot. So that's what some folks here are looking forward to or planning to read or are reading. We ended the last segment with Eileen telling this fantastic story uh, about a novel that she thought she didn't want to read but got into it, and it was pretty exciting. And I have to say that I had an experience of just rejecting Zadie Smith. I know, I know, because everybody <laughs> talked about it, and I thought, it just cannot be that good. And we, had to do, we did a book for my book club, and I thought, oh, I guess it is that good. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> it's pretty good. So anyway, that just lets you know that uh, you can uh, change your mind about these things. We're going to do another go around with your list. So let's start with you, Julie. So um, a fun book that has come out this spring that I think would be fun for families to read this summer is uh, Princess Cora and the Crocodile by mm. Laura Amy Schlitz. And <laughs> it's illustrated by the amazing Brian Floca. And it is sort of an old-fashioned fairy tale, but with a kind of modern characters. So uh, Princess Cora is... Um, very overscheduled by her parents. Uh, she has... <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> right? She has, you know, all these different things. Very regimented life, and she really just wants a pet dog. And so she calls forth her fairy godmother and um, doesn't quite get the pet dog. She gets a um, pet crocodile. And the crocodile <laughs> is sort of there to make sure that Princess Cora, you know, kind of gets a little bit of her life back. So he, you know, dons her dress and uh, has lets her go off for the day and just have a day of freedom and kind of teaches her how to be an empowered daughter and speak up for who she wants to be. So it's a lot of fun, and I think it would be so much fun for a whole family read aloud, like going on vacation or something. Um, it's a real treat. And Laura Amy Schlitz is just a great storyteller. So And that strikes close to home, for I think, for a lot of families, mm -hmm. right? The overscheduled kid. Mm -hmm. All right, Robin, what you got? The one that I like is a sequel to a book that was out last year called Steeplejack by mm. A.J. Hartley. Mm. Um, this one is called Firebrand, and it's coming out, so I'm kind of eagerly anticipating this book. Um, what I like about the series is that the heroine is a, a young woman named Anglet, and it is in kind of a city that doesn't exist but could have existed. Uh, so it's a little bit like Victorian London or Dickensian London, but set in South Africa or a, a world inspired by South Africa. So it's a little bit more um, a kind of different setting than you normally see that kind of story set in. Um, and the city is very well thought through, if that makes sense, and, and all the different groups in the city and the different factions, and, and it's a, a kind of reminiscent of a lot of colonialist sort of structures that we know from the past, but it's different enough, and um, she's a really wonderful heroine, and she's gotten wrapped up into the internal politics of the city. She used to be a steeplejack, which are people who go up and fix chimneys, um, and ended up becoming a sort of intelligence spy for a young politician. So it's a very interesting book, and I think the series itself 
um, is smartly political at the same time as mm. being very adventure-driven and kind of there's lots of great set pieces that are action pieces where she uses her skills. So. I love that. Uh, they're such strong women characters now that I'm just uh, loving. Mm -hmm. There used to be a time where it would be very hard to find, so I'm happy to see that as a trend. Mm -hmm. Eileen. Kelly, I have to disappoint you. My character is a guy. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, this is the latest entry in one of my favorite series. It's by Daniel Silva, and it features an Israeli spy, and he's also an art restorer. He is an unusual combination of skills. It's focused on the global war on terror. And, uh, Very timely. Yeah, it's um, like a real page turner. Uh, this latest one is the House of Spies, and it's um, he's asked by the British government to try to track down the ISIS mastermind who plotted a bombing in London's West End. The character is very engaging. Uh, it tells you a lot about the global war on terror, but also about uh, Israeli history. And his parents survived the Holocaust and settled in Israel. And, uh, you know, the, the experiences of life over there. And I, I think it's a very informative series, but also, um, like, perhaps not everyone's summer read because it does deal with very serious issues. But it's one that I will be reading. Eileen, you know, the rap on men and adult fiction is that they won't read it. That nonfiction is really all that men will read if they have a reading habit. I wonder if you would speak to that. What, what do you see here at the Boston Public Library? <laughs> well, when I say that to people, they say I'm wrong, but I think I'm right. <laughs> I agree with you. I think, like, when I think of men, I think of nonfiction. I think of politics, economics, uh, social issues, and then heating, ventilating, and air conditioning. You know, it's okay. that, that sort of thing. It's like they look for construction books, they look for furniture repair, they look for practical things. And I have a son, and he reads practical books. They're very focused. He doesn't read a lot of fictional works. And I, th I think it's just the way, maybe it's like politically incorrect to say it, but I think that's the way the men are. Mm. I think fiction books uh, focus a lot on relationships and the way people interact with each other. And I think that's more of an interest for women than it is for men. Mm. But perhaps I'm wrong. <laughs> Either of you want to um, weigh in on that? I, th I think I see um, a lot of boys who really love fantasy and sci-fi mm -hmm. stories, you know, who just can't get enough of those um, sort of Rick Riordan series or um, Brandon Mull or something. That, um, so I, I do see young guys reading that kind of fiction. Yes, they like nonfiction too, but and they also like graphic novels. But I think plot is really... Um, mm. But it's, it's hard to sort of uh, make generalizations by gender, right? And so I... Particularly with working with youth, I try to keep it open for them. Try whatever you want. Right. What about you, Robin? Yeah, I would say for me, definitely um, guys read a lot of genre fiction, whatever that may be for them. Um, but I'm also thinking of some of the more adult authors that the guys I know really like. Things like John Scalzi, um, his book Lock In is very popular, and um, or Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. So you get these kind of they're adult books and they're science fiction, but they have a good amount to discuss in them. Um, and I think the guys I see, I think it's that funny thing that you, you may learn it as you grow up. Teenagers are still not particularly bounded by the stereotypes around adult readers, so they don't really care if people think they should read that book or not. They're just like, well, is it good? If you can convince me it's good, then I'll read it. Hmm. Um, same with narrative nonfiction. I find that if you've got really solid narrative nonfiction, that works for both genders no matter what, as long as you can pitch the story and get their attention, um, then they'll definitely like it. But I, So I think it, it's more malleable at that point. It doesn't fall into the categories as easily. 
One of the things that I have been touting for the last few years since they started this organization is uh, we need diverse books, which is a, a grassroots organization aimed at children's literature, formed really just to highlight books that are about families and people who have diverse experience that may be racially or that may be gender or whatever, but also uh, authors who write as well in that in that uh, category. And I just love what they do. So people can go to the website and, and pay attention to that. I just also wanted to mention that for me, because I make certain in my book list is, is very well um, seated with many different um, kind of perspectives. I also visit the African American Literature Book Club website, which is AALBC, and um, also latinolit.com. I, I pay attention to that. And they offer a book a month if people are interested in uh, finding out more about that. Now, that's in addition to like the New York Times, the Washington Post, or Megan O'Grady, who's a book reviewer for Vogue. Um, and my very, very favorite, I would say, is BuzzFeed, because they're a little funky and quirky. I'm wondering um, if any of these reviews or places, resource places, particularly resonate with you that you think are doing a good job or you could add to my list? I, well, I think uh, We Need Diverse Books is doing a great job. And uh, I mean, one of the books I wanted to talk about was uh, Ellen O, who's the co-founder of mm. that organization, oh, has right. produced an anthology of fiction for kids uh, called Flying Lessons and Other Stories. And she's got 10 stories from some of the greatest um, diverse authors for kids. She's Walter Dean Myers is in there, Jacqueline Woodson, Grace Lynn, Matt De La Pena. And the stories are really all fantastic and engaging and different. Um, so, you know, there's love stories and there's uh, Matt De La Pena's basketball story is really great. And um, there's something for everyone in there. And uh, short stories are so great for summer, right? Because um, it's very satisfying. You can do one in a short period of time and really feel the same, you know, completion when you're a kid. So, um, so I love them. I think they have great lists and are really encouraging other, um, other great lists. We were looking to tell a story that could grab a kid and make them see like, this is me, right? Tell, tell a story that would effectively be a mirror. Just as we need a mirror for ourselves, I firmly believe that the children out there need to also understand somebody else. That was Soman Chani, I think, I think so. that's oh, we're and, and Phoebe Yeh, the VP and publisher at Crown, talking about flying lessons and other stories. But that's just to give you a hint of, you know, what their purpose is and what they're doing. Um, Robin, any, any other resource that you look to that resonates with um, not only the folks that you serve, but yourself? Sure. Well, one thing we actually recently did at my library is we did the uh, Reading Without Walls Challenge, which is set up by Jean Luen Yang as the National Ambassador for Young People's Literature. And what's great about this challenge that he's put forth for everybody, not just kids, um, is that it's really simple to do. And all he's asking is that you read one book about someone who doesn't live or look like you, mm. one book about something you find intimidating or don't know much about, and then the third book should be a different format than you normally read. So if you don't read comics, read comics. If you've never read a play, try reading a play, listen to an audiobook, do something different. Um, so it's really simple to do, but it's already done a huge amount to just open up people a little bit, get them out of their comfort zone. Um, and we did a huge challenge in the library um, in anticipation of him coming to visit, which was delightful. Um, but we did this whole wall where all the kids got to draw every book that fit each category. They, they were able to write down what their favorite part was. So they either drew a picture or they put a quote in or they just said what their favorite part is and we plastered the walls. So it was really, really great. And I think 
that's something you can always do. Like, you should always think to do that and be like, I'm going to read a book that's something that's not me. Somehow it's not me, so I can get a different perspective. And I think that's a really easy challenge to do. He has a ton of resources at the Reading Without Walls kind of um, book list and recommendations, and he is a, a graphic novelist, so he's very good at talking about comics and why they are a format to try, but he also just loves as much adventure as people can have while they're reading. Uh-oh, that means I have to read astrophysics in a hurry. Eileen, <laughs> <laughs> is there some outside resource that you look to um, or tap into every now and then? Well, one site I like, it's not particularly forced, uh, focused on diverse literature, is earlyword.com, because it's focused on the books that are going to be big hits, and that are going to get a lot of media coverage, and that are going to be big. So it covers everything, and uh, it's just a great resource. That's one of my favorites. I'm Callie Crossley, and if you're just listening and tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, and you just heard Eileen Sherman. She's a librarian here at the Boston Public Library. My guests are also Judy Roach and Robin Brenner, and they're also librarians, and we're talking about summer reading favorites. All right, um, what are you personally, you know, not just for the list that you're making, mm -hmm, mm -hmm you know, for your kids and the crocodiles and whatever, which I think sound fantastic, <laughs> Jafari jumping in. But you, Julie, what are you going to read um, first? Oh, um, I'm actually really interested in Pamela Paul's Bob book, Okay, actually. okay, that's good. <laughs> I hey. want to know what she's yeah. been reading yeah. all these years. All right, okay, all right. How about you, Robin? Well, I have one that I've been looking forward to is um, I was a big fan of Avatar The Last Airbender, the TV mm. series, and mm. then the continuing comic series that they did that kind of filled in a lot of the past history. Um, and then there, there was the sequel series, Legend of Korra, and that series ended um, very dramatically with uh, the main character Korra and uh, Asami, another character, kind of going off into the spirit world and also acknowledging that they were a couple, but then it ended, so you never got kind of more of that. So there's a graphic novel coming out that's gonna continue that story that's Legend of Korra um, Turf War, and it just looks really great and I'm excited to read it just because I wanted more of that story. Um, so I'm glad I'm finally getting it. How would you assess the, the popularity of graphic novels, let's say the last five years? They're still kind of roaringly popular. Mm -hmm. they, they have never gone out of popularity. I think the nice thing is they're much more available in all different kind of ways. One thing I will say that's very obvious when I talk to teenagers and even adults at this point is a lot of them are following web comics um, because mm. that's where people are coming from. So instead of kind of running around with your portfolio and trying to get published through the usual gatekeepers, you can just publish online. So for example, there's a great um, web comic right now that's by a local creator here in Boston named Mildred Lewis called Agents of the Realm. Mm. And it's kind of based on the idea of uh, Sailor Moon, magical girl sort of mm. stories at a college. Um, but all of the main characters, but one, are women of color, and it's a hmm. beautifully drawn book. And right now, she's only published the first volume just by herself. She's not, wow. you know, it's not through a publisher, but she's got a great reputation and, and is kind of growing. She's one to watch, I think. So if you keep an eye on web comics, you'll see what's coming. All right, uh, Eileen, in your own book bag. Well, my two thrillers, definitely. Yeah. And then there's another thriller that I haven't mentioned here. Uh, but another of my favorite authors is Lee Child. Mm. And he has a series that features Jack Reacher, who's an ex-military policeman. And he's- You're very... hardcore. Those are scary. 
<laughs> I, I find him very amusing because he travels around the United States basically by bus. I think he has a very small pension from the United States <laughs> Army that keeps him going. And he travels light and he's off the grid and he just has a toothbrush. And every few days he just goes into a store that sells really cheap clothes and buys a whole new set of clothes. Oh my God. But basically he's, he's like based on the old fashioned American Western cowboy, the lone hero. He goes into a town, there's a problem defenseless people are being abused and he solves the problem and then moves on. So there's like a Shane aspect to it. And it's, it's the amazing thing is it's written by an Englishman and um, he like lost his job over in, in, uh, in England. I think he worked for a TV company. So then he just decided, oh, well, this is my opportunity. I'll, I'll write a novel about a character I like. And then it became a best-selling series. So he has a new book out. Not exactly what I would choose. I wish it was a new book in the series, but what it is, it's, it's called No Middle Name. It's a collection of his short stories mm. that are all amalgamated together in a new novella. So I don't know how well that'll work. I, I like to read a big book. I yeah. like the story to go, like, you know, at least five to 100 to 1,000 pages. So I don't know how the short story um, way will work for that. So I'd be curious to find out. Uh, um, they've made a movie, I believe, about one of, at least one of those Jack Reacher books. Have you seen that? And did it, did it hold up? Uh, I spend my days <laughs> at the new and novel desk, and everyone who comes in looking for Lee Child, we have the same conversation. How could they pick Tom Cruise to play oh, this character? Okay, so no is the answer. No, I, I don't know. I, I just think it, it doesn't capture the right, books. Right. And uh, Tom Cruise is physically very different from this man, and it's just maybe the book doesn't translate that well into cinema. You right. know, Got it. it's uh, Hollywood. So maybe, like, that could have been done a different way, but I think it would have needed a different character. Every, every, it's usually men who come in looking for the series, and all the men have a different idea of the character. They have very strong ideas on the character they would have liked to see playing mm. uh, uh, Jack Reacher. Oh, so. interesting. Um, now, this book came out already, but I'm, it's definitely in my book, and this is uh, The Meaning of Michelle, 16 Writers on the Iconic First Lady and How Her Journey Inspires Our Own. So I want uh, folks to listen to this clip. Uh, this is from the audio book. It's from the preface of the book, and it was written by Academy Award-nominated director Ava DuVernay. In that one photo op, Michelle infused the image of the First Lady with pride, panache, and polish. Many of us saw a woman to be admired, a woman to be trusted. Scratch that. Many of us saw a black woman to be admired, a black woman to be trusted. There it is. So I'm just interested. Um, we've talked about short stories in a lot of different forms here in this conversation. This is 16 different writers, so I'll be curious to see how they portrayed her. It's gotten a pretty good review, so I'm interested in that. Okay, so two questions about the future of books in general. Um, every year, death of print, death of print. It doesn't seem to be dying. Seems to be more robust than ever, right? It's amazing, yeah, it <laughs> is. It's it's people come in, they look for the books, and it's not necessarily, you think maybe, uh, young people would totally go to the e-books. I've had a 10-year-old child say to me, you know, I've told them there was an e oh no, I don't like that, that makes my eyes sore. <laughs> but at the same time, like there's huge demand for the e-books as well, and a huge demand for audiobooks. So there'll sometimes be longer wait lists on the e-books and the audiobooks than there will be on the physical books. But physical books are not disappearing by any means. I, I read physical books mostly. 
and uh, I just enjoy them a bit better. Um, I'm a member of a book group here, and I read a book that I gave like a negative review of, and I think part of it maybe was because I'd read it as an ebook mm. instead of the usual way as a print. And like I meant to experiment with that and just see is that true for a lot of people that uh, they react differently. But ebooks are incredibly popular and audiobooks. I think the audiobook adds a great dimension to it. I can't do audiobooks. I might start doing a grocery list. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can do an ebook, but just cannot do an audiobook. It's so interesting. Hello, I'm on radio. <laughs> I could concentrate, but no. Well, I, I tried an audiobook and I said, oh my God, this has taken so long. I didn't realize you yeah. could change the speed. And then when I realized you could change the speed, I said, oh, okay, I don't have to spend the rest of my life listening to this book. It was just like, I can do it in a reasonable length of time because I was able to read so much faster. But you like than it, but it works for you. It's, I don't do it often, but I can see the attraction yeah. of it yeah. because, you know, you can follow, people follow right. different no, people narrators. people love it. Yeah, yeah they, they do. Yeah. I think, I think, I'm, I'm yeah. a giant fan of audiobooks. Yeah. I love audiobooks. Um, I kind of consume media in all possible ways. Yeah. So I have, you know, books on my phone that are ebooks. I have lots of ebooks. I have podcasts. I have radio. Like, I kind of do everything. Um, but audiobooks in particular, I really love it um, when you find a reader that works well yes. for you yes. or suits the book particularly mm -hmm. well. Um, actually, the book I was talking about earlier, Steeplejack, um, that's read um, by the actress who's actually in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child Ooh. in London. Mm. Um, and she does a beautiful job reading it. So I think it's always that part of it. I also actually have gotten into the habit of rereading books by listening to them because you pay attention differently when you're listening. Now, I have a long commute. I also just listen to books kind of constantly. So I'm like, if I'm doing the dishes or doing something relatively brainless, then I want to hear something to occupy my brain. Um, so that works really well for me. And I, I have probably almost read more audiobooks than I read actually books at this point, which is kind of sad, but true. So interesting. I can do any uh, audio books. I can do podcasts. Cannot do audio books. All right. Tell me about you, Julie. What, what's, what do you think about printed word dead? No, I don't <laughs> think the printed word is dead. Um, I mean, the, particularly for kids, um, the, the tactile piece and the, you know, the piece about being in the lap and the, um, so, I mean, the books with art and them for kids are, are really very much works of art, right? So it's, um, it's different. But they're doing that on ebooks really interestingly, too. Yep, yep. In and there's some, there's some yeah. engaging pieces yeah. to them, but um, there's something, I don't know, there's something, um, there's some sort of bond between parent and child that I think really happens with a physical book. But I, I have this theory about the audio books, too, that that is really the e-platform that is... Um, evolving the fastest um, Interesting. Mm -hmm. because it's uh, you can multitask but right. I can do it and people can have them on their phone mm, now and <laughs> but they're, they're getting so much better the production yeah. is getting so much better and the readers are all you know famous actors and actresses I, I don't know it just doesn't work for me it's so interesting all right now let's go around and talk about our trashy books we're going to read so my okay. trashy book that I have to read every year um, JD Robb um, some people may know her as Nora Roberts she's a romance author under that name but she writes a whole other series called JD Robb uh, under the name, under the uh, byline of J.D. Robb, and it's about Eve, Dallas, and Rourke. Um, there are 41 of them. I'm at number 37. And they're complete, they're beautifully written, though, I have to say. So, but that's my little guilty pleasure. All right, trash my on your end, book. Julie. Oh, I don't, I don't <laughs> think, I think about that. See, you guys said you did trash, but you don't really do it. I mean, come on, what's your trash? You did highbrow trash before. Um, well, <laughs> it's just, uh, well, one of my favorite authors, but I wouldn't call it trash, but uh, I like Bernard Cornwall, so if he has a new book out, I'll try okay. to read him. He has a series set, and uh, I think it's like 
seventh century uh, England um, during the Viking invasions. And um, it's probably about the eighth or the ninth volume should be coming out soon. So I, I sort of really enjoy that, that series because it's historical. It's uh, you know about a time-changing period and history and the conflict between the pagans and the Christians and the search for power. Right. You know the Vikings were warriors and fighters, and the English were so trying is, to protect their land. This is good. This is highbrow stuff we're talking about. <laughs> All right. And so when I say trash, I mean there's a. I mean that that's good trash, and that's I consider J.D. Robb to be in that in that standpoint. I'm not talking about tree killers mm -hmm. where you just have killed trees for no reason. Uh, Robin, do you have any? I do have a book that I just indulged in that was in so many ways ludicrous, but I enjoyed it very much. Um, it's called The Love Interest, mm. and it's, um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the author's name, so I apologize, but um, it was, it's uh, just coming out, so I read it as an advanced copy. Um, but it's a, you know, a company that's set up so that they set up two potential love interests for important people, and oh. then you have to get the, the target to fall in love with you, and if you don't, then they kill you. Um, so it's oh. this weird, like, teenage <laughs> boy set up to, like, romance this girl, and if one of them fails, then that is the one who'll bite it. Um, but what's interesting is that the story is set up so that this is, they're sent out to do their thing, and they know the consequences, and there's a good, a good boy and a bad guy. So it's a kind of like, you know, which appeals better. Um, and then it turns out they fall for each other. Mm. So, the author of that book is Kale Dietrich, I'm, I'm told. Uh, yes, there yes, you go. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so, but it's it's very fun. It's it's you know again not like weighty in any way, but I enjoyed it. And it was a, another book where it was nice to have a gay protagonist in a very mm. fluff like kind of action-packed adventure story that was very fun. That's so. what we're looking for, fluff, fluff yeah. trash. So <laughs> yes. When we say trash, we really mean fluff. Um, there are many more books on your list, and I want to let everybody know that they will be able to find them on our website, and also alert folks that uh, Under the Radar has a regular book club every month in which we interview an author about uh, a new book. And the next one coming up is going to be aired on July 2nd, and the book is Cork Dork. And oh, it's yeah. a very fun, interesting book about a young woman who just decided she wanted to learn how to really know about wine mm -hmm. and spend a year in this sort of grueling experience learning all of mm -hmm. how to blind uh, smell and taste and all of that. And it's very, it's just, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. The whole world of wine in a very fun way. If people are, are intimidated by wine, they won't be after they read this. Mm -hmm. It's pretty fun. All right, well, um, I have one more maybe thing to ask you guys about this um, in the summer that I, uh, book, did I ask you about book clubs? I know there are book clubs at libraries. Do each of you have them? Yeah. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that book clubs um, really push people toward books as well, so I just wanted to put that on the table as well. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, right? Definitely. Um, anybody yeah. have a, have you seen that happen a lot here at the library, at the Boston Public Library, Eileen? Well, we have three different book groups. Uh, mm -hmm. The Monday night book discussion group. Uh, we have the point of view book discussion group. It takes place on the third Wednesday of uh, every month. And then we've established a new one that's geared towards like 20-somethings, 30-somethings, called Fantastic Books and Where to Find Them. Oh, yeah. They meet yeah. on like 7 o'clock in the Newsfeed Cafe on the fourth uh, night, uh, the fourth Tuesday of each month. So like people are really uh, interested in it's book It's great groups. to discuss, I think. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, they get really involved in them. And some of the people in the point of view book group, which I run, 
they've been there for maybe 20 years. And uh, people come, people go, but there's some you know, people who stayed for that length of time. Well, I can say that my book club has been around for 20 some years. I haven't been in it the whole time. And it's <laughs> literary sisters, and you know, we fight a lot, but we love books. So, and I love books, and I loved all of you. So thank you all for much, very much for joining me today. Thank you. And our summer yeah. reading special. I'm looking yeah. forward to everything that you suggested. <laughs> Julie Roach is the manager of youth services at the Cambridge Public Library. Robin Brenner is the teen librarian at the Public Library of Brookline. And Eileen Sherman is a librarian here at the Boston Public Library. Well, that's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show and the complete list of recommendations from our librarians on the web at news.wgbh.org slash UTR. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please write to us at undertheradar at wgbh.org. Our engineer is Doug Sugertz and John Parker. Andrea Aswahi is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH. Thank you.